from Public Health Institute. Welcome to the PHI CDC Global Health Podcast, a new podcast that highlights stories from the PHI CDC Global Health Fellowship Program funded by the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. I'm your host, Whitney Hall, Administration and Communications Specialist. Our fellows are guided by CDC Global Health experts and work on the front lines of global health, developing the technical and professional skills needed to make meaningful contributions to today's global health challenges. As the COVID-19 pandemic continues to affect the world, what is it like to be working on emergency response at CDC during this historic moment in global health? We'll explore this today with Riley Wagner, MPH, who is a Global Program Management Fellow for CDC's Center for Global Health headquarters in Atlanta, Georgia. Riley was the first of currently 24 fellows to be assigned to CDC's Emergency Operations Center in response to the COVID-19 pandemic. Riley, thanks so much for joining me today. Can you start with sharing more about your background in public health and your work prior to becoming a PHI CDC Global Health Fellow? Sure. So I graduated from the University of Michigan School of Public Health um, in April of 2018. And um, before that, I was in uh, working in the mental health and social work fields. So once I went to the University of Michigan, I specialized in global public health um, and did some work in Mozambique in sexual and reproductive health, did some work in Zambia in sexual and reproductive health as well. And basically really focused my MPH work, um, working on several topic areas. So obviously global health, working with adolescent HIV and also working with LGBTQ populations, both domestically and abroad, um, particularly HIV positive LGBTQ populations. Um, so after finishing up at the University of Michigan, I spent the summer working in Zambia on a project, joint project between U of M um, and some other partners in Zambia. And then I started the PHI fellowship in August of that year. So really came in with a global health background that with some HIV experience and some global mental health experience and came into the PHI program as a program management fellow in August of that year. So that's where I have been since then. I've been in the program for about a year and a half now. Great. Wow, that's really interesting. Um, Prior to your work now, which I know is focused on COVID-19 response, which we'll get into in a minute, what were the main areas of focus of your fellowship and your work for CDC and global health? So as I said, I'm a fellow in the program management track. So I'm actually, um, my placement is within uh, the Center for Global Health Office of the Director, Office of Overseas Operations on the Operational Policy and Training Team. So my role on that team has shifted a bit during the year and a half that I've been there. So I've had the opportunity to work on multiple projects, but I came in with the idea of conducting a training needs assessment for our global health workforce, which is about 3000 people throughout the center for global health's various um, various divisions worldwide. So started a little bit on that and then shifted into doing more logistics and operations for uh, leadership workshops for the Center for Global Health big um, annual meeting that happens. It was happening every year. Now it's shifted to every other year. So doing a lot of operations and logistics for that and also working to support the Center for Global Health Regional Trainings, which take place uh, three times a year, usually in three different locations around the world so that our CDC staff that are based in country offices can attend, you know, to a location that's closer to them, closer than Atlanta. So usually we'll do Mm -hmm. one in Africa, one in Asia, and then one somewhere in the Americas. So I spent quite a bit of time supporting those type of events for leadership um, and really doing the logistics and operations for those and then was able to shift back into a role slightly 
before I started on the COVID-19 response, shifted back to focus on that training needs assessment again and really started doing the planning um, and the implementation or implementation planning for that before I got shifted to COVID. So I basically swung back and forth between doing some evaluation and training needs assessment work and doing some logistics and operations work. Mm, Okay. So for those who don't know, CDC has an emergency operations center where currently 24 of our fellows are now working on detail assignments in response to the COVID-19 pandemic. And Riley was the first fellow given a detail assignment. Um, For listeners unfamiliar with what detail refers to, can you elaborate on what it means to be on detail with CDC? I know it was a new concept for me and what your detail assignments have been. Sure. So a detail is, uh, a detail within CDC is typically when you are you take a temporary short-term assignment it's usually 60 90 or 120 days to another office outside of what we call your home office so your permanent assignment so my permanent assignment like i said was within the office of the director as a program management fellow so for me to go on detail it means for me to take a temporary assignment at that point it started out as a 30-day assignment to the covid 19 response so i would leave my home office and shift and work solely within cdc's emergency response center assigned to a team there working under a supervisor there and would report to them and basically spend you know my 40 hours a week or whatnot working with that team rather than reporting back to my home office Riley, you served on CDC's COVID-19 International Task Force Information Management Team and on the Cruise Ship Task Force. What kind of daily tasks were you working on and what were some lessons learned in working on the response to cruise ship outbreaks? So um, the Cruise Ship Task Force was the first of my detail assignments out of the three that I've had up until this point. So it was, like I said, my first time working on the EOC. So when I um, was selected to join that team, they had been convened very quickly. They had this team had been set up within about 48 hours to handle the situation with the Diamond Princess cruise ship in Japan, which for those that aren't familiar, it was a large cruise ship that was um, docked in port off of of Yokohama, Japan, that had a large COVID-19 outbreak. And at that point, it was one of the largest COVID-19 clusters in the world. So before it was all said and done, I believe somewhere around 600 or 700 people on the ship ended up infected with COVID. So that ship was quarantined off the port of Japan with citizens from many countries around the world, including many Americans on board. So the cruise ship task force was stood up very quickly to deal with the large number of Americans on board, figure figure out how we could get them treatment, how we could get them home, um, and how we could contain further spread on the ship while those citizens were kept in quarantine up until the point when they could return to the United States. So I stepped onto that team, and like I said, it had just been stood up. It was a very kind, of, a very fluid environment. Everyone was just. We had epidemiologists, we had folks with program management experience, we had folk, a lot of folks that had worked on the Ebola outbreaks in West Africa, who had prior emergency response experience, and everybody pretty much sat in a conference room, and we just all tackled everything as a big team. So some I got to work on various parts of that. So some of the parts I worked on were um, figuring out, for example, infection um, prevention and control on board the ship. So if, you know, we were asked by the Japanese government or if, you know, we were trying to talk to our citizens and convey to them how they could best protect themselves while on the ship, like what what are some things that they could do? How did we think that this disease was spreading on the ship? 
um, just trying to gain general knowledge because at that point we'd never, A, we didn't have a lot of knowledge about COVID-19 and we'd never had this type of large outbreak of COVID-19, obviously on a cruise ship, which is very a special environment because it's such close quarters. Um, so working through a lot of that infection prevention and control issues as a group and then sitting, I spent a lot of time sitting with our epi team and they were um, working on conducting um, risk stratifications, trying to figure out, you know, based upon we knew where all of the Americans on the ship were located and what their level of risk was based upon whether they had people in the neighboring cabins that were infected or whether they were had um, interacted with a crew member that was infected. So working to figure out what level of risk those people were for getting COVID-19 with the idea that once they, um, they would eventually have to be taken off the ship and the thought that we could use the risk stratification to figure out what the next steps were for them coming off the ship. What was their risk of having COVID? What was their risk of being exposed? And then hope, hopefully using that to inform next steps for them. So I got to sit and work with Epi team on that. And then did a lot of liaising. Um, I was the official liaison between the cruise ship team and what we called the repatriation team. So there's a team stood up within the EOC to deal specifically with repatriating the 400, approximately 400 American citizens that were on board. So obviously, as people are probably aware, they were all brought back to the United States and quarantined on Air Force bases for a period of time. So there's a team within CDC stood up to deal specifically with that. And so I was the official liaison between cruise ship task force and the repatriation team. So making sure we gave them all of the info, the situational awareness we were gaining from our team on the ground in Japan, giving them information about the risk stratifications that we had come up with, you know, how we expected these people to be offboarded from the ship and onto the planes and really providing them all of the info they needed to help get set up um, for the return of these folks to the U.S. So that was a big part of what I did. Um, and then also working on, we con conducted an epidemiological survey of the folks that had been on board the Diamond Princess, just asking them some questions about their symptoms and their exposures. So I assisted with data management, data collection for that. And then once the Diamond Princess was over, we shifted focus to working on cruise ships worldwide. Um, basic, oh. Basically any cruise ship worldwide that had Americans on it that was experiencing a COVID-19 outbreak. So again, assisting with tracking cases, um, tracking which cruise ships worldwide had Americans and had outbreaks, tracking who needed to be repatriated, how many folks were sick, how we could get them back to the United States. I spent a lot, quite a significant portion of time tra tracking a cluster of outbreaks that we linked back to the uh, Nile River cruises in Egypt. So that became a kind of a pet project of mine, um, tracking throughout the United States. People had come back from who had come back from trips to Egypt who had been on those cruises that became positive. So became either confirmed cases or were persons under investigation and worked on a manu um, worked on a few manuscripts related to the Nile River cruise and also the Diamond Princess cruises. So um, I I realize that's pretty, uh, that's a lot of details, but overall yeah. that is, that's, it was a lot of different assignments. So a lot of different tasks, a lot of liaising back and forth with our teams in Japan. I worked some with our, the, uh, with the liaison from the public health agency of Canada. So working with our repatriation teams on the, here on the ground and some state governments. So. Yeah, that sounds like a massive project. It was. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I guess since I heard you talk about repatriation 
a few times, how much does diplomacy play into what you do? So have you had to navigate much in terms of political or diplomatic decisions? So there was, was and continues to be a lot of, um, a lot of diplomacy and navigation of, I guess, political channels, um, political dynamics involved, particularly with the cruise ship team, just working, like I said, there were citizens from many countries on board the ship. So working with the Japanese government to get our folks home and do it in a way that kept everyone as safe as possible. Um, and that really looked out for everyone's interests, not just, I mean, obviously the Americans, but also just really what could we do that could keep the, you know, everyone safe and healthy. So working with them, um, and then also, as I said, working with Public Health Agency of Canada. I mean, there are our friends and our neighbors across the border, and they had a large numbers of citizens, not just on the Diamond Princess, but also on the Grand Princess, which is another ship that I um, worked on. And just making sure there was a steady and smooth flow of communication, that everybody was getting the appropriate communication, and that everybody was able to look out for their citizens and um, promote the promote the interests of their citizens and getting them home safe and as healthy as possible. So just there was definitely a lot of diplomacy, just a lot of figuring out who needed what information when, um, figuring out how to present that information so that it was interpreted correctly because some of, you know, there's a lot of, this is a tricky situation, tensions run high, everybody's concerned about the welfare of their people. And so making sure that every, you know, things came across the way they were intended to come across and that there was just um, room for the spirit of cooperation. Um, not just with the um, with other foreign governments that we were working with, but with we worked with state and local partners as well. And also a lot of a lot of this is also in coordination with other federal government agencies as well. So trying to maintain a steady flow of communication and open channels and the spirit of cooperation with, you know, just trying to remember that at the end of the day, everyone has the same goal in mind. Everyone, we all want to keep our, you know, our folks, our citizens, citizens from other countries that are, you know, on these cruise ships safe and healthy and get them back to, you know, where they call home and trying to keep that in mind and navigate all of the various levels of bureaucracy and diplomacy that come into play in situations like these. It sounds like it's all pretty intertwined, but does your work with the International Task Force primarily focus on global response to the pandemic, or are you more thinking about, you know, the U.S. and policy and U.S. citizens in uh, relation to the COVID pandemic? So that work is mainly, it's mainly globally globally focused. So um, as I'm sure everybody is aware, CDC has country offices and I believe it's 59 or 60 countries worldwide. And so we have programs and we have um, kind of frameworks going on in many countries around the world. We have pre-established relationships and works work going on in many countries around the world and a history of relationships and assistance with many foreign governments. So obviously we our work abroad is to support the health and safety of Americans at home and in abroad, but we also wanna use these pre-established relationships we have with various countries to assist them in this COVID-19 pandemic because a lot of countries are just 
need assistance. I mean, the United States is we we've needed assistance, um, and there's a lot of countries worldwide that need assistance right now. So trying to um, basically through our international task force facilitate a sharing and a collaboration of information and skills and resources. Uh, this is, like I said, a new disease that we've not dealt with before. Every, we're all learning at the same rate. No country has dealt with this before. Um, so we're all trying to share everything that we're learning and all of the techniques that we're coming up with and all of the mitigation strategies and what works and what doesn't. And trying to just really, in the spirit of cooperation, get that out to everyone and answer questions and provide feedback and provide support and assistance um, to those who need it. So we work with the countries where we have country offices worldwide, and we've also started working with countries where we don't necessarily have country offices and maybe we don't traditionally have pre-established relationships or lines of work in those countries, but you know, they may be places that now need assistance as well. So we've stood up um, within the task force. We have various teams that provide technical assistance. We have um, regional calls on a weekly basis with countries and um, basically all of the regions throughout the world with some of those country directors and just making sure they get the latest science, the latest technical assistance, the latest updates, the latest mitigation techniques, making sure that they all get that and then figuring out how we can further assist them and respond to their needs. That sounds like a, a huge learning opportunity. Um, do you think, are there any lessons that stand out uh, that you've taken away so far uh, in public health outbreak response or emergency response in general? I, I'm trying to think. I have just learned so much overall because I've, throughout this whole experience, because I've never done um, emergency response before. I think some of the ones that really stand out is obviously I knew public health is a very collaborative field and that partnership is important, but I don't know that I'd ever quite understood exactly how important that type of like close collaboration and close partnership and close alignment on things like mit community mitigate mitigation strategies or travel restrictions or, you know, infection prevention and control techniques, how important those things are, especially when you have countries that share borders or that have very porous borders, or you have countries like the United States where people are constantly flying in and out of the US and traveling worldwide. So I don't think I'd quite realize how important it is in an outbreak, emergency outbreak situation to be so closely aligned on those things and how quickly it can change the situation if there's some sort of misalignment. So how quickly maybe the situation can escalate if one, you know, someone is doing this one set of uh, mitigation procedures over here and then maybe someone else isn't doing any. So how quickly that can just change the overall situation that you're in. So that's been a really big thing. And also just learning about the various levels of politics and diplomacy that need to be navigated in these types of situations. I mean, working with the international task force, like I help coordinate calls and meetings with the World Health Organization. And we've done calls with the Australian government and setting up calls with the United Kingdom and work, you know, doing outreach to other countries and saying, you know, let's have a meeting of the minds here. Let's put together, let's talk about what we're doing. Let's talk about what you're doing over there. And let's see like, where do we have common ground? What's working for you? What's working for us? How can we share that information? And how can we make sure we're not duplicating efforts and really figuring out how to navigate all of the various levels of kind of bureaucracy and politics so that you can have those conversations and have them in an honest space where the spirit of cooperation there and everyone is really just there because they want to do what they can to stop this pandemic and prevent further deaths and prevent further disease and 
enter that space with just you know an open mind of like let's collaborate and how can we collaborate so it's been a really interesting um lesson in how to how to go about creating that dynamic and how to navigate those channels so that you can have those conversations and really do it in a way that promotes cooperation um, and participation from the greatest number of people possible yeah i could see how collaboration just would be such an important factor in all this um, with everything going on with the pandemic, since it's impacting everyone literally around the world, so personally, albeit in very different ways, I'm also just curious how it feels for you to be so directly involved in the response. And has it influenced what you want to do with your career long term? So I don't know if it's influenced necessarily long term. I do know for now that I'm looking to stay on the response and continue taking assignments on the response um, for as long as possible just because I find it to be really fascinating and meaningful work and I feel like if I have something to contribute that I should continue to contribute um, because this is just such a such a big I guess worldwide crisis and if I can help in some way I definitely want to so I think I at least short term within the next year, I plan to continue hopefully focusing as much as possible on working within the response uh, in whatever opportunities that present themselves. And then we'll see. I think long term, I'm definitely much more interested in being involved in like public health rapid response and disaster relief and things like that. It's definitely garnered my interest. Um, it's not a field that I'd consider or a type of public health I'd considered doing before, um, but it definitely is now. I am. Um, I really like the work and I like the pace of it and I like that it's a very it's always a very fluid rapidly evolving situation that requires flexibility and just requires you to just pitch in on whatever comes up in that moment and I really I really enjoy working in that type of environment so I think it's for me it fits a bit better than a traditional desk job per se so um, I like being in the thick of things and kind of being thrown into the fire and like here's this crisis situation go figure it out. So I think I will definitely be looking for more opportunities um, doing this type of work in the future. Long term, we'll see if, if mm-hmm. it'll, I'll be doing it five or 10 years down the road, um, but definitely for the next year or two. Great. Yeah, I know we have a lot of people listening who are curious to follow, you know, in your footsteps. Maybe they're uh, interested in emergency or disaster response or interested in CDC uh, in, or in School for Public Health. Um So do you have any advice to those listeners in terms of what has helped you enter this field and succeed? I would say the, it's not even necessarily a concrete skill set, such as obviously having epi skills is super important and having data analysis skills um, and having some of more, those more like concrete technical skills is super helpful. But I think above and beyond all of that, what has been most important is the ability to work in a fast-paced, rapidly evolving, rapidly changing, fluid environment and being able to adapt to that environment as needed and take on whatever tasks come up. It's really honest, like I have some epi skills, I have some database management skills, 
I'm not a train, you know, I don't have several years worth of equity experience or anything, but I think what has been most important for me is the willingness to say, you need somebody to handle that task. Okay. I've never done it before, or I've done it before, but not necessarily on my own, but I'll give it a shot and come back to you. And then you can tell me where I can improve. So like the willingness to take on whatever task, even if you're not necessarily an expert in that area, but a willingness to give it a go and say, okay, let's see what I can figure out for this. And then let's come back to together and collaborate on it. So really, I think that comes from my experience working and I've worked in a number of countries and lived in a number of countries worldwide. And, you know, my work in that in those places has really promoted like the need to be able to shift and adapt and change my work style as needed. So obviously, I would recommend like, yeah, get your epi skills up to date, you know, learn some database management, figure, you know, learn how to do R and some coding or if you have time. But above and beyond that, just be willing to be flexible and to just jump in wherever is needed and kind of put your best foot forward and say, I'll give it a shot. So I think for people that are looking to get into this, like if they, I think it's even almost more important just to have a well-rounded public health skill set in various areas and an attitude that is willing to take on whatever comes your way and to do what needs to be done to get the work done. That's all great advice. Uh, For people not involved in public health, are there any resources that you particularly recommend to learn more about the pandemic response or even just your go-to news sources? I know that there's a lot out there, so, and it can be overwhelming for a lot of people. (laughs) There is a lot out there. Um, Honestly, this probably sounds funny, but for anybody that's looking for pandemic response resources, CDC website's pretty awesome. We get on the International Task Force, we get sit reps daily about new guidance and new articles and new publications that CDC is putting out, and it's dozens a day. And it's really great work done by amazing colleagues. And I mean, it's it's science based and it's fact based. And if you want like the facts about the response, um, pandemic response, I would go to CDC first. And then WHO also has is putting up some really amazing guidance right now. So I would look to them as well. In terms of news sources, I'm a diehard New York Times fan, always have been. So <laughs> that is that is my go to um, resource. I occasionally flip to the Washington Post as well. And then I also like to check in on like BBC and some of um, the worldwide news sources um, and just local news sources in like um, Africa and various African countries that I've worked in and some South American countries I've worked in just to, because I have colleagues and friends there. So I like to check in on those local sources and see what's being reported on the ground occasionally. But of course, the New York Times always. (laughs) Great. Yeah, I love the Times too. And I think you, uh, you've you contributed to some some research that's on CDC's website also as well with the cruise ship response. Yes. So I um, have authorship on um, a piece related to the cruise ship response to the Diamond Princess and the Grand Princess. Um, it's a, one of the MMWRs, the Morbidity and Mortality Weekly Report that CDC puts out. So they've mm-hmm. been, that's another great thing to subscribe to they um it's i think it goes out once a week it may be going out more frequently now but it's a great method of um getting out kind of the latest science and things we're learning from the pandemic as we're responding to it so i worked on a uh, one related to the some of the cruise ship outbreaks um and that went out i think a month or so ago and then i've got another one that's coming out um, related to the egypt Nile over cruises soon 
Oh, great. I'll have to check that out. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Riley. I really appreciate you sharing your experience with everyone. And thanks for all that you're doing. Sure. Thank you. Thank you to our guest, Riley Wagner, and all of you for tuning in to our very first episode of the PHI CDC Global Health Podcast. This podcast is a project of the PHI CDC Global Health Fellowship Program, which is implemented by the Public Health Institute and its partner consortium of universities of global health for the Centers of Disease Control and Prevention. Please join us next time as we share more fellowship stories. To learn more about our program and see how we are making meaningful contributions to today's global health challenges, visit our website at phi-cdcfellows.org. For questions, please email us at info at phi-cdcfellows.org. This podcast is produced by Whitney Hall. Thank you to Mike Sage, Christine Carabayo, Jazdeep Dulé, Natasha Alcaz, Aurora Michael, Christine Jolly, CDC, PHI, and CGH.